Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. He did know that the people of Corinth, were they were acting and they were living in a way that didn't bring honor to the Lord Jesus. And many of them were mocking Paul, and that's what he's having to deal with here. Verse 18, now some of you are puffed up as, as though I weren't coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power For the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. The church in Corinth was a busy place with much activity, and according to Paul's writing, the church also had a lot of knowledge and understanding of God. However, with all the church had going for it, they were missing the point. All Christians are united with God in love. Today, Pastor David encourages all of us to be sure that we don't miss that key ingredient as well. We can't boast in ourselves, but in God alone for all He has done for us and in us. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, Dealing with Pride. says that the second biggest problem, conflict for pastors, is family problems. Many pastors struggle with expectations by church members of their spouses or children. Others struggle with finding time for their families. And many pastors' families struggle with the glass house syndrome. You know, the glass house syndrome. Everybody knows what the pastor's family is doing, when they're doing it, and where they're doing it. Well, praise God, we started the, the, the ministry for us here. Our children were almost grown. My daughter was uh, just coming into high school, and our son had already graduated high school and was going off to college. But my heart goes out to those pastors who have young children, and they're raising the children in the church because everybody knows who's the pastor's kids, right? And uh, they, they, number one, they can't get away with anything, and everybody hears about what they did do. Give Pastor Allen's kids a break, okay? Uh, he's, he's the one here with... With the young kids, finding finding time for each other, you know, again, ministry becomes something can be all consuming. Time wise, uh, not only do you spend the the normal time of uh, ministry time, but then there's also calls during the evenings and the weekends, different things. And so, who takes the uh, brunt of the abuse of that? Not the pastor. He gets all the accolades, and hey, man, we're so glad, man, you, you're the best pastor we've ever had ever. You know, the one that takes the brunt of that is his wife or his family, that they're, they're just left in the background waiting until he has time to spend with them. Praise God, we're going to have our 44th anniversary tomorrow. Amen. Don't call me tomorrow, okay? <laughs> Applaud Tot. She's the one that's had to put up with all of this. Number three problem is stress. 
I don't have any stress. I don't know what he's talking about. He says the pastor's life is one of emotional highs and lows. It includes critics and adoring fans. Expectations from church members can be unreasonable. The very nature of a pastor's call into ministry can lend itself to seemingly unending stress. I shared with you, I think it was, wasn't it last Wednesday, I shared about the conflict that someone had, and he said, man, you know, this church has been horrible for us, and we're gone. And I, I think that I shared, and if I didn't share with you last week, I needed to share, that within this same week, I had had like four different people, four different families come up and say, man, this is the best church we've ever been in, man, this, this is awesome, we, we love this place. So, but you know, the problem is, is pastors aren't much different than anybody else. You can get 10 great words of, hey, attaboys and how great everything is, but the one that you remember the most is the one that comes in and it says, man, this place stinks. That's the one you remember most. And it just happens. It just weighs on you. That's not one that I deal with. But anyway, it's telling the truth. That's what I do. Uh, The fourth one that he says, let me move on here, because this really isn't the focus uh, of the message, but I thought it was worthwhile to look at. The the fourth issue that Rayner says is a situation with many pastors is depression. Depression. Uh, Every time I write about this topic, I, I hear from countless pastors and staff, depression is pervasive in pastoral ministry, and it is often the secret problem, the secret problem, because way too many times we as pastors, we can put on the face when we need to, and then in, in, in the darkness and the aloneness at home, that's when the weight comes. I've shared with you guys, I've tried to be as, as op- uh, not as opaque, as, as transparent as possible <laughs> with you. That's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. I've tried to be as, as transparent with you as uh, possible. There, there's been many times through the years that on Monday I wrote out the resignation. You know, it's just like, phew, man, I'm done with this thing, but praise God, by, by about Wednesday afternoon, I threw it away and we got on with business. There's times that, man, you, you get all the great things because you see a ministry that's going well and you get people that are so glad to be a part and it makes you feel really good, but then there's other issues, issues of life, issues of family, issues of health, issues of economy, all kinds of things that come against you and you just wonder, wow, am I really doing the right thing? I, I don't know of too many pastors. There may be a few around that have said, I've never doubted my call. But most of the pastors that I know, there's this continual thing, man, Lord, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Praise God, for most of them, the Lord comes back and says, yes, now just get back in there. Just get back in there and do it. The fifth thing, real quick, burnout. Local church ministry can attract two broad types of persons, the lazy and the workaholic. Accountability is often low, And it can be easy to get away with just little work or to work 70 plus hours a week. And as Rainer says, he says, I see more of the latter, those that overwork, than of the former, the lazy ones. Uh, Number six, sexual problems. These problems are most often in one of two categories, pornography or marital unfaithfulness. You think, well, a pastor wouldn't suffer or, or deal with pornography. Oh, yeah, it's just right out there. As a matter of fact, I've personally known way too many pastors who've either stepped out of ministry or stepped away from ministry for a season due to these kinds of issues. Number seven, financial problems. Most of the, and I love what he says here, most of the world hears about the few pastors that make huge salaries, you know. 
He says, the reality is the majority of pastors struggle financially. I, I praise God for our board that they're taking care of us and they're doing a great job on that. So, uh, And number eight, the last one, time management. Expectations of pastors can be unrealistic. Pastors are often expected to attend multiple meetings, visit countless congregants, prepare sermons with excellence to provide ongoing strategic leadership, to conduct weddings and funerals, and be involved in the community. Many pastors don't know how or when to say no. You can ask my wife. I have that problem way too many times. And many are not good at delegating, and they really don't have anyone who can handle some of their responsibilities. Lack of Delegation is one of the downfalls I had for years. I just praise God right now that he's brought men like Robert and Alan and some of our elders that are taking on some of those things because, again, I was that guy for a long time. Rainer continues. He, he ends it up here. He says, most pastors love their callings. Most pastors enjoy most of what they do in ministry. And most pastors wouldn't change their role if they could. Still, many pastors have ongoing challenges and struggles. But you know what? Never been beaten because I've shared Christ. I've never been threatened to be thrown in jail because of witnessing to somebody. They, they've never tried to close the church down or, or cause any big conflict because of what we do. And yet that was the kind of stuff that the Apostle Paul faced continually. Continually. Every, every city that he went into, there was a conflict. Remember, he had there were, the two great battles that he fought, the, the, the physical battles that came into play, were, were the Jewish leaders that were so against Christianity and the teachings of Christ, and the Romans. And the Romans didn't like them because they said that the Christians are pagans. Catch that, you know? They said that the Christians were pagans. Because we only believed in one God rather than the multiple of gods that the Romans believed in. And so the Romans didn't like the Christians. The Jews didn't like the Christians. And whenever Paul would go into a community and start sharing the faith and the hope of the gospel, the Jewish leaders would rise up. And if the Jewish leaders didn't rise up, the Romans would rise up. And so this was the conflict that he had everywhere he went. Most of us would take our ball and go home. But Paul says, no, this is what God has called me to do, and I continue to do it. And so he shares this with the church there at Corinth. Again, not to solicit sorrow or try to instill shame uh, on them about uh, you know, how he's been treated. He wrote those things to help them to understand more completely that, that call of the Christian life, the call of the Christian life and the humility that, that each one of us should be walking in. And he's talking to a church that's, that's really building up in pride and ego. He wanted them to have that heart that, that's tender toward other people, to, to understand also the importance of the leadership of God that he's placed them under, that God has placed leadership within that church that they ought to, again, submit to. Paul's life was sold out for Jesus. And if all men rejected him and rejected his message, Paul was intent to continue on in his journey, continue on preaching the gospel. Look what he says here in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers for in, G in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. 
In other words, Paul was the one that pioneered that church. Paul was the one that came to Corinth, started that church, started it very small, and again, just continued to pour his life into them. And apparently there was some sort of disdain against Paul, even against those that perhaps Paul had even led to the Lord during his time there. Some of those that Paul had mentored and and discipled and encouraged. So again, the, the, the student now has risen above the teacher in that kind of a concept, that kind of a mindset. They've outgrown their need for the apostle. So in verse 16, he says, therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I left Timothy to you, who is my beloved and, and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. You see, Paul's message didn't change from one place to another. And he was sending Timothy there to, again, continue to encourage them. No, here's, here's the teaching that Paul continues to give. This is the direction, this is the, the understanding that we have of the message of the gospel. Paul wasn't perfect, but yet he told them, imitate me. What does he mean by that, to imitate me? I believe, again, that idea, that self-sacrificial idea, that humility that he had, even with the position that, and the authority that he had, he continued to walk in humility toward others. And I'm sure that if Paul was pressed to the point, he would have probably agreed that, man, I want them to imitate me in this zeal, in this love for the Lord. I believe that that's probably part of it, but I believe more than anything, because of the context here, it's dealing with this idea of humility. Again, the love and the care and the concern for everybody regardless. Paul wasn't perfect. He didn't consider himself perfect. He didn't consider that he had even obtained some high situation in life. He, He says elsewhere, he says, man, I don't count that I've apprehended it. But this one thing I do, I continue to press forward. I continue to move forward. He did know that the people of Corinth, were, they were acting and they were living in a way that didn't bring honor to the Lord Jesus. And many of them were mocking Paul, and that's what he's having to deal with here. Verse 18, now some of you are puffed up as, as though I weren't coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power For the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. What do you want? He he asked him, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Apparently they continued to give this pushback against Paul, rather through other letters or notes or personal messages he had sent to Corinth about them needing to straighten up. Apparently they weren't doing that and he was hearing word that they were still pushing back of what he was saying. You guys are still puffed up. You're saying, I'm not coming. I'm telling you, I, Lord willing, I am gonna come. Yeah, do you want me to come in the full authority as, as an apostle and kick you guys out of the church and, 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 and again, call out your names before everybody? Or will you let me come in a gentleness? and a spirit that, again, we can work together. Paul's desire, I think, was to come and just love on him some more and encourage him in the word, not to come again and and try to bring this correction, not to bring, uh, again, the the rod to them. He's speaking out as a parent to his child and what parent hasn't said to your, your children. Now listen, if you guys don't straighten up. Okay, we don't beat them with a rod anymore. Or... Any less, but uh, no, you know, we, discipline needs to be there, okay? 
And what parent doesn't say to their children, you know? If you don't stop that, such and such is going to happen. Well, Paul is speaking just like a parent here. He says, you know, if, if you guys don't straighten up, I'm going to have to take action when I get there. So why don't you straighten up there? The discipline needed to be given out because they continued to act in a way that was bringing destruction to the whole fellowship. They continued to be puffed up. They continued to be proud of being puffed up. Warren Wiersbe states, he says, it's not an easy thing to be a minister of Jesus Christ. As a steward, you have to be faithful to your master, no matter what men may say to you or do to you. You'll be treated as refuge by people of the world. Your own spiritual children may break your heart and have to be disciplined. God's faithful servants deserve our love, respect, obedience, and prayer support. Elsewhere, Wiersbe says, Discipline that needs to be brought needs to be brought in, in, in an even balanced way. And I think that that's what Paul knew he was going to need to bring to this church. And he didn't want to bring it. How many of you ever heard the thing, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me? You know, and you say, well, okay, spank yourself, dad. Paul knew he was going to have to bring correction. He tells him when he comes, he, he wants to come in love. He wants to come in that spirit of gentleness. But he's willing to come in power, but not his own power. He was going to come in the power of God because Paul understood he's not wrestling with flesh and blood, that this is a spiritual situation. Even in these kinds of situations, it's a spiritual battle that's being waged because, again, the enemy gets into the lives of individuals, and he's the one that causes the wedges and the divisions, and I believe that Paul fully understood that that was a spiritual battle. It was going to have to be met in, in, a, in a physical stand, but it is a spiritual battle that he's dealing with. The next couple of chapters, Paul's dealing with some very specific issues. And he's not, he's not only afraid to speak the truth to them, uh, but he's also willing to bring about the necessary changes that needed to be made in the attitudes and the actions of the church. Why? Because he's such a heavy-handed guy? No, but because he saw the impact of the kind of choices that the church was making, not only in their own lives and in their own spiritual maturity, but in the testimony of the church to the world that was around them. And beloved, when the church doesn't live and act as the church, we have absolutely no impact on the world out there. They just say, oh, you guys come together for you know, a regular time. You have your meetings. Yeah, I, I meet down here too. I got, I got this club that I join and you know, we go together every once in a while. It's just a really nice time. I was talking to someone this last week, uh, not a member of this fellowship, but in fact, she's not a member of any fellowship. Just kind of sharing some things with us, sharing some things about Christ, about the church. She says, well, one of the things I do is I, I've joined this club down here and it gives me a lot of good interaction with a lot of people. And I thought to myself, really? How empty is that? I mean, it's not a bad thing. I, you know, I have nothing against that. But you know what? The church needs to be different than that. You see, our, our relationship with each other, our purpose, our focus, needs to be directed by the Spirit of God. That's, that better be different than a, a bridge club or, you know, a, a, a dominoes fellowship. Sorry to say a poker club, but uh, it's got to be different. 
It's got to be different when you and I come together. The fellowship, yeah, it needs to be sweet, and it needs to be encouraged, and we need to, we need to grow in that area, just of encouragement and getting to know one another. But you know what? If our focus when we come together isn't the reality of Christ in us, then, then we're missing the point. I want to I close this with this, just this thought to you. When you come together with people, and let's just bring it home to us, okay? When we come together, whether it be the men's meetings, the women's meetings, the youth meetings, getting together, a small group, a large group, whatever it is, might be at a dinner table at somebody's house. It, it might be a card game at somebody's house. I don't care. It wouldn't just coming together. How often, really and truly, does our conversation flow toward the things of God versus just chatting, just talking? You know what we talk about? the things that are most important in our lives. And when our conversation, if we can meet with one another for two or three hours or even 30 minutes, and our conversation never goes toward the things of God, what does that say about us? What's the most important things in our lives? That's what we're going to have a conversation about. Oh, I don't say that every time we meet that we've got to have a Bible study. Every time we meet, we've got to have a prayer meeting. Every time we meet, we've got to, you know, go through all the doctrine and all the history of the church. That's not what I'm saying. But just in the conversation that we have, how often do we speak of the reality and the truth, the hope, the blessings, uh, the good favor, the promises, uh, the, uh, just the life that we have in God? The most important thing in your life will come up as a topic of conversation on a regular basis. If your grandkids are the most important, I guarantee you, you'll be talking about your grandkids. Amen? Amen. Your children, your job, whatever it might be. Sports, politics. But if Christ is most important in our life, it can't help but enter into the conversation. I look at a church like Corinth, Corinth was a busy church, and we're going to see a little bit later as we get into it. There's a lot of, lot of stuff that's going on, a lot of stuff happening there. But it's, it's a messed up church. Paul sees it clearly. But the church itself didn't see it. Because as far as they knew, they were doing all the busy stuff, all the right stuff. I don't want us to get to a point where we as a church do all the busy stuff and miss the right stuff. Miss the reality and the truth that, man, we come in here because we want to grow in the things of Christ. We want to be encouragement to one another. We want to be iron sharpening iron with one another. We want to say, hey, man, you know, if I've offended you, I, I apologize, man. Uh, please, please forgive me. I, I don't want a wedge to come in. I want us to be a kind of people who, when we come into a room like this, we can see people and we grow to know, and in growing to know, we grow to love. See, it's kind of hard to say, hey, I love you, brother, if you don't really know him. Uh, I love you, sister, if we've not really grown in relationship. And the only way that we can do that is when we make that special effort. We can be busy, 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 like Corinth was, and totally miss, really, what God has called us to be here. I pray that God will continue to work and move in all of our hearts and lives, because every one of us, every one of us, need to continue to grow in those areas. Amen.
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.